0: And welcome back to the Lawcast. This time we're going back to cover the very first time that Raw and SmackDown faced off its Survivor Series. It's Survivor Series 2005, a show that has a long and tortured backstory on the Lawcast. Um, as I recall, we were supposed to do this show like two years ago, and then you almost died.
1: Yep. I uh I kind of had this thing where my intestines exploded, and I almost died, and then I spent two weeks in the hospital and lost 40 pounds.
0: The good Lord just did not want us to do a Bobby Lashley show. This would have been
1: our first. I just want you guys to understand that in the back of my mind while I was watching this, there was this feeling like, um, I, I don't want to die again. <laughs> I do i'm do want to sure cover as, you the were show. Sitting,
0: as you were sitting there in the hospital a couple years ago i'm sure you were like i'm sure i'm sure you were like i can get it together for an hour to do the podcast right
1: in my mind i was about to kip up and like go head over to the microphone but then i would open my eyes and i would still be like all crusty lying in a hospital bed so nope never quite panned out that way well but we're back now and here we are to cover i think a very interesting show
0: um You know, 2005 is very much a year of change for WWE. It's the year that John Cena and Batista become world champions, become the faces of the company. And, you know, they couldn't have arrived at a better time because WWE's business was real soft in 2004. Um, Probably the weakest it's been since the
1: mid-90s. It's kind of funny to think of this time, too, because it kind of it almost feels like a last gasp in a lot of ways, because like. 2004 was really horrible, but when Cena and Batista kind of catch on, it feels kind of like they recaptured that goodness, and for a minute, yeah. it kind of seems like things are going to be okay again. Yeah, you it think just...
0: it looked like they were heading into another boom period, and then lots of things went wrong.
1: Yeah, we're going to have to cover a whole bunch of them, because a lot yeah. of them happened basically across the course of this one summer. A number but... of these things, yeah, a number of things did happen right here. Um, Cena...
0: Crowd turns on Cena, Batista, eh, just kind of loses. it. He never quite recaptured the spark he had, you know, working with Triple H and
1: being an evolution, I'd say. Yeah, moving him to SmackDown was probably a mistake, and it doesn't really work. Uh, moving, yeah. because, like, when you move Cena and Batista to the different shows, there actually had been a following that started to separate where some people just watched Raw and some people just watched SmackDown or supported them. And then, like, it didn't really seem like their full fan base has followed him to either show.
0: Yeah. Uh, we've covered kind of the tragedy of Kurt Angle that he ends up being released the summer after this because of his drug problem.
1: That was a big loss. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people are just, like, right at the end of their careers, too. Like, Trish is right at the end. Lita's right at the end. like, Taker's winding down around right around this time, even though he's still going to go for 15 more years. <laughs>
0: And unfortunately Eddie Guerrero is at the end of his life. He passed away two weeks
1: before this show. Yeah, obviously we're gonna have to talk a little bit more about that when we get to it. And all the acts that they bring in just don't quite work. Like this is during this is the era where they got seen they the Batista, so they just start introducing like a ton of new talent that try to in, like jumpstart this new era and it just they seem snake bit. It seems like nothing they introduce works at all.
0: We have a lot of guys on this show. Carlito, Chris Masters, Lashley. Just none of these guys become the stars they hoped
1: they would. No. Like, it's, it's bad. It's pretty damn bad.
0: So, yeah, I mean, to go back to kind of where we are big picture... John Cena, the WWE champion, he's the face of Raw. Batista is the world heavyweight champion. He's the face of SmackDown. Uh, they both had their belts since WrestleMania, won them on the same night, and then they flip flopped shows in the draft that summer. Cena got drafted to Raw, Batista got drafted to SmackDown. Um, you know, and it's a time of hope. You know, we think the company is about to enter a new boom period, and unfortunately it doesn't for, I think, reasons we've covered a bit and we'll cover more during the course of this show.
1: Yeah. It it feels like the beginning of a new era here. Like, they even go with, like, SmackDown and Raw both get, like, new video packages, new music. Like, hey, it's the start of a new Raw with John Cena on top and a new SmackDown with Batista. And I would say I do think this is a new era. This is the the transition out of that, like, post-attitude era, ruthless aggression era. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems – I remember being very excited at this time. This is right when Edge really starts to come up and he's, like, getting really hot. And this is right when, like – you still got like Shawn Michaels like kicking around doing awesome stuff. Like Orton hadn't gotten really lame yet. Like there's a lot you've of
0: got a, you've got a great mix of talent here. Cause Yeah, you've got some all timers who are still not in their primes, but still good. I mean Triple H, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Rey Mysterio, and then yeah, you got new guys coming up like Batista and Cena Emin, and Eminem Edge. is really yeah. hot. Yeah, Eminem, Orton, still got Kurt Angle. It's Yeah, there's not a shortage of talent in the company at this point.
1: But this is arguably where this starting about 04 and continuing on until probably like 08 is maybe the most creatively dark period of the history of WWE. And I say that even though current day history exists and we have to reckon with that at some point. But this is just a period where it really seems like they're getting in their own way so much. That the creative decisions they're making for basically everyone are just disastrous and almost designed to be sabotaged. It's well, they, horrible. It
0: feels like Cena and Batista are the last times they really successfully were able to make themselves a star. It feels like the times the, the couple times they really had guys get over after this were like Punk and Bryan, where it kind of happened in spite of what they were trying to do.
1: yeah. And the lesson that is important to learn about John Cena and Batista is that they fell ass backwards into both of those guys. Yeah. They thought both of them were just, like, total jabronis they were ready to get rid of until they accidentally got over. Yeah, they That's were going to
0: put uh, Mark Jindrak in Evolution instead of Batista, right? They, yep. even, shot the, they even shot, like, the helicopter stuff with them. I don't remember. Who
1: pulled for Batista? How did Batista get it? I'm pretty it? sure it was Triple H. Okay. I think but Triple H just like went to the gym was like look at this big bastard. Yeah, Let's get him. Make in. some money with him. Cena was a failure. Like he yeah. had his like prototype like shiny pants thing had not gotten over. He was literally going to be released after a European trip that they just happened to hear him freestyling on. Yeah. And then he dressed up as vanilla ice for a Halloween episode and that's literally what saved his career. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> like it had no business working. <laughs> yeah,
0: and,
1: and even then, like was a year like- after
0: that, those two guys are the biggest stars in the business.
1: Yeah, and this is despite John Cena wrestling like Orlando Jordan for half of the next year, and John Cena being a pretty garbage wrestler at this point. Yeah, let's be clear. This is a time where if you were on the internet in 2005, 2006, you are guaranteed to have spent at least 40 hours of your life arguing with someone else online about whether or not john cena was a good wrestler we all picked our sides the battle lines were drawn it was knockdown, down fucking drag out like there was no not way around a good it.
0: good in-ring technician at this point he would become a great worker over the course of his career he was not at this point it didn't take him long i feel like by about 07 he was pretty great
1: yeah, it's one of those things where like the people who are on the side that he was good, it wasn't that he was a great worker. John Cena has the most awkward wrestling style of anyone I've ever seen in my life. Even he acknowledges like he learned all the moves wrong, <laughs> and he just his he's not graceful. I feel and so like his body is just so lumpy that it's hard for him to do anything gracefully. Eh? Yeah, so basically he just learned it all mentally, and just eventually like that won out. And, like, the fact that later on in his career he would do, like, the puts a guy on his shoulders and, like, roll through into the FU stuff, like, that's unthinkable at this point when he can barely hit a clothesline.
0: Um, So, I mean, we're three years into the split rosters at this point. It's really become an institution. It's clear it's not going anywhere. I'm of the opinion they should have probably scrapped this by this point. Like, I don't they've got a pretty good roster but smackdown was real thin for several years
1: here yeah it's actually kind of funny that it took this long for them to do kind of a big raw versus smackdown thing yeah. because it's arguably when the two brands are the weakest for them to actually do this like they can barely scrap together 10 guys to go against each other and still yeah. put together a card
0: They use all the stars on SmackDown in this match. Like, all SmackDown's top guys, other than The Undertaker, who's been out for a while, um, are on Team SmackDown.
1: This show, other than the main event, features a a women's match, which wasn't super common at the time, Ric Flair wrestling, and a match between Theodore Long and Eric Bischoff. That's how much they had to pad it out. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, to get to kind of the... Big story of the time. Eddie Guerrero died on November 13th. That's exactly two weeks before this show, and his death would kind of
1: loom over this company for years, I feel like. It was such... If you weren't watching at this period of time, like, it's entirely possible that you also feel very sad about Eddie Guerrero's death, but it's so hard to communicate what it meant to people who were watching at that point. Eddie Guerrero had become not just the heart and soul of the company, but maybe of the wrestling industry itself. Like, I don't ever remember in my lifetime a wrestler being that universally beloved. And I don't just mean liked. I don't just mean like they bought their merchandise. But I mean, like, Hispanic viewers would tune in just to watch him and then turn the channel off. People who weren't wrestling fans. People were inspired by his story to the point that to this day, people still make pilgrimages to his grave. Like, that's that's not a thing that professional wrestlers generally inspire. Like he, he was a story in a man that was genuinely unlike anything else that I think we had really ever seen. And to see him die so suddenly and so horribly when it seemed like he had had everything finally put together in his life and everything was wonderful. And he had finally achieved his dream. is just such a devastating blow. And like, I, I, to this day, I'm not sure I'm over it. Like, it seems weird. I never met the man, but like, I'm, legitimately was destroyed when that happened
0: yeah i mean anytime somebody dies young it's sad this one was especially tragic just he had put his life back together he was having an incredible run he was doing some of the i mean his heel work in 2005 might have been the best work of his career oh god yes a feud with ray while it was very silly the stuff he did was just next level
1: heel work Even the stuff that was just so simple as, hey, let's put a fucking cell phone ringtone on my music so people hate it. Just like every detail he had down.
0: When he beats up the jobber and puts the ray mask on him.
1: Oh my god.
0: When he comes out to do a promo and he doesn't say one word
1: and he just lets the booze wash over him and he won't talk. And just the fact that we've often had people who were strong baby faces and they try to turn him heel and fans just won't boo him because they love him too much and it's important to remember eddie was far more beloved than any of them and he still got booed when he wanted to that's how great eddie guerrero was yeah
0: um so he had been running a storyline he was feuding with batista and they wrestled at no mercy and batista beat him And then like, you know, they kind of shook hands and became friends and Eddie kind of got the babyface gimmick back. He started, he got his old music back, started coming out with the low rider again. I, I'm sure this was going to lead to him turning on Batista. Like we never got to see this, but there's no way he was actually going to stay a good guy here.
1: Oh, that was the subtext of every backstage segment and everything, which is him giving Batista shitty looks after he walked off screen.
0: Yeah. So now missed that. Um, Also, they were apparently planning on Shawn Michaels versus Eddie Guerrero at WrestleMania this year. Uh, Man, can you imagine how great that would have been?
1: That could have been. And there are very few things that you can say this about, but it's possible that could have been the greatest match of all time.
0: (sighs) Yeah. I mean, and like if they really went in on that storyline, can you imagine like Eddie being the devil, like trying to tempt
1: Shawn to like go back to his old ways? like hey Sean I also attempted to find Jesus and to get away from my look demons it, but look what it did to me the demons found me again and now they're going to find you oh, man. man you could have gone anywhere yeah but maybe instead we big, got Shawn Michaels versus Vince
0: McMahon <laughs> I can't I can't wait to cover that WrestleMania. That's just one of the dumbest and weirdest WrestleManias of all time.
1: That is as far to the opposite of being Shawn Michaels versus Eddie Guerrero as <laughs> I can possibly think of.
0: Instead, one of the worst matches of all time.
1: <sighs> but, like, one of the blowbacks of this whole thing, too, is uh, Eddie Guerrero was genuinely one of Batista's heroes. And they get, like, really close during this time. And, like, Batista was one of the people who always made me cry when you talk about Eddie. Because, like... He's literally with Eddie every single day right before his death. And, like, he literally, like, watches him die. Learning from him. Learning how to be a champion. Learning how to be a pro wrestler. And just to have, like, your mentor and writing partner die out of nowhere. Like, God, how devastating. Like, he, he basically wore that Eddie Guerrero armband for, like, the next three years. Yeah.
0: I mean, this is... I don't know if maybe Chris Benoit's downward spiral had started
1: already, but this definitely accelerated it. I have always held that. I I know that Chris Benoit had a number of issues and it was always going to, in some way, go the way that it went. But I think this is really what triggered it because Eddie Guerrero was such a central figure in Chris's life. Like he was his best friend and like his best friend to a level. I don't have any friends that fucking close. Like literally they've all died. Yeah. Literally the most important person in his life was Eddie Guerrero. and to have him just be gone in a second like um it 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 affects everyone like jericho leaves the company soon after that like
0: i don't think they would have released kurt angle without this because they i mean they just saw they looked at angle and they're like he's gonna be the next Eddie, he's gonna die we have
1: to let him go because he won't go to rehab without eddie and we don't it's not necessarily that the drugs killed eddie It's more that like long-term drug use damaged his heart and then being a wrestler, damaged his heart further, and that's what killed him. But it's really what got them to start looking at, like, the the, the drug policy and stuff this like is that. When,
0: this is when they introduced it. It was a couple months after this. Like, this was the trigger. They didn't give—I don't feel like they truly gave it teeth until Benoit, but this is when they introduced it.
1: But the drug policy would go on to seriously alter the careers of tons yeah. of people going forward. Like, the whole Ken Kennedy thing— You know thing, it saved MVP's life, because— Yeah, it caught that like heart condition. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I'm sure it saved some other lives too of guys who got treatment who otherwise wouldn't have. But yeah, I mean, ruined some people.
1: Yeah, like you said, like ruined Ken Kennedy's career. Ken Kennedy would still probably be a top star today if that hadn't happened. Yeah, I mean, it ruined. It derailed a Roman Reigns push where they had to like take the belt off of him. It derailed an Edge push right when he was about to win the belt. Like, it has. That one where they got, like, the names of all the wrestlers from that one yeah. office, and they suspended, like, half the roster. Yeah,
0: was like 10 guys went down all at once. It was like Orton, Mysterio, Edge, Booker. Yeah, it was like most of the top guys on the
1: roster all got
0: popped. They were all getting stuff from the
1: same pharmacy. It's just a fascinating what if. Like, Eddie Guerrero's death seems like a splinter point for most of the things that happened for the rest of the decade. And that's just an incredible fact, but it's true.
0: Yeah. I mean, in the short term, they had to reshuffle this card. Eddie was going to be on Team SmackDown. Um, he was also maybe going to win the World Heavyweight title from Batista on SmackDown. Um, it's kind of, it's been kind of, I think some people have said he was and others have said he wasn't, but Batista was hurt and they were going to take the belt off. And the question was whether it was going to be Guerrero or Orton who won it. But when Eddie died, Batista kind of decided, like, I'll, like, work through my injury and just didn't take any time off until he got hurt worse and ended up on the shelf for, like, six months.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think Steph- title. I think Stephanie's the one who put forward that it was going to be Eddie. And, of course, she'd say that. So it's hard to say whether it was true or not. But it very well could have been because they were actively in a storyline together. Yeah, I, they had, I think they had already announced
0: Batista versus Eddie versus Orton for that SmackDown, and Batista was going to lose the title and be written off TV to heal up. Oh, magic. So it was just a question of who he was going to lose it to. Eddie with the big gold belt. Ugh, yeah. Um. So they subbed Orton in to replace Guerrero on the SmackDown team uh, Orton's planned match against the undertaker on this show was canceled. Um, and, you know, Batista decided to try to work through his injury and then ended up getting hurt worse a couple months after this and,
1: uh, being out for a while. Does it seem weird to you that they don't put, since the undertaker is not doing anything, they also (coughs) just took him off of this show altogether. It's not like they got him another match.
0: Yeah, Yeah. He had been killed off by Orton. Like Orton locked him in a casket, and lit it on fire.
1: Oh, so was that was weird this.
0: Just like show up and be on teams. But yeah, this is not a good storyline. This was not the best time creatively for this company. Uh-uh. This, was,
1: this is when they he and Orton had that great WrestleMania match, and then they just kept feuding for like five years. Yes. Yeah. They brought in. <laughs> they brought
0: in Or. They brought in Bob Orton
1: for some reason. And then Bob Orton bladed and didn't hepatitis. tell Taker he had hepatitis. God, Johnny Ace almost died over that. Oh my! If he had literally given. The Undertaker hepatitis. Yeah, like the Imagine Undertaker would have lawsuit. murdered him. Yeah, and to do that to Taker, are yeah. you fucking serious? Oof. yeah. Um, so the big
0: business event of 2005 was Raw returning to the USA Network after six years on TNN slash Spike TV. They moved. In the fall of 1999, and had a it was an ugly departure. There was a lawsuit. Uh, There's a lot of bad stuff going on there. But after six years, some executive changes at the network. It was time for them to come home, and unquestionably the right move for WWE USA has always been a much better TV partner for them than TNN was. And USA really
1: put, like, a big marketing push behind Raw. Like, to the this extent is really, that— This is really when B- WWE became their flagship show. Oh, yeah. Just anybody who was watching at the time can remember those, like, USA character welcome—characters yeah. welcome skits. You know what I mean? Like, just because they were trying to relaunch their whole new network with shows like Burn Notice and Psych that— See, it really succeeded. Yeah. I mean, it absolutely changed the face of the network.
0: When they became the top cable channel again.
1: Yeah, it would go on to like, this whole idea would lead to them having like Emmy winning shows like, what is it, like Robot something? Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot, that's the one I was thinking of. Thank you. Uh, But basically they built it all around WWE. So if they wanted to debut a new show, it would literally debut right behind Raw, like every single season from then on. It It was a big deal for them to get that level of support.
0: It was. So they came back. Uh, They did a big, like, three-hour Raw Homecoming special. They had a bunch of legends on the show. They had Hogan. They had Austin. um, All kinds of big stuff. And this is when the Raw SmackDown um, feud kicked off. Uh, There was going to be a SmackDown match on the show. Eric Bischoff comes out and is like, I don't want to watch this garbage. Like, turn the lights out. Go to commercial. This match isn't happening. And then in the main event that night, like Teddy Long sent all the SmackDown guys to interfere, and we had a massive
1: brawl between Raw and SmackDown and the show. Now, this is one of those things that they've done a lot of now. In fact, they're literally doing it right it works now.
0: Every time! Every it's time! Over every
1: time! Like, invasions are just the easiest thing to book. It's just exciting to be watching Raw, and then SmackDown guys show up, and you didn't expect that. that that's, yeah. that's the whole point of having a brand split. <laughs>
0: oh the the under siege thing they did a couple years ago where like the smackdown guys were just like roaming around the back yes
1: beat up and they were just finding guys and just like beating the shit up Where well, like seth rollins jumps out of the balcony yeah. but then like 20 guys catch him and whoop his ass yeah that's brilliant that that's genius stuff but it doesn't require a genius it's amazing <laughs> that it took them three fucking years to come up with this idea <laughs> Yeah,
0: I, there were some really lame Survivor Series the couple of years before this that really could
1: have used this boost. Shit, they should have just started doing this at WrestleMania. Yeah. There were some lame-ass WrestleManias around this time that could have used the boost. That
0: but is like, kind of interesting to me. That always seemed like it would be an obvious thing for WrestleMania. It would be like, let's do the brands
1: against each other. Yeah. It's a natural fit for Survivor Series because you get a bunch of guys on one side and a bunch of guys on the other side, and that's what Survivor Series is. But, like, it, it's just such a good idea. Now, the the fact is, is that they've only actually done this, what, like five times?
0: So they did this one, and then they had that bragging rights pay-per-view for a couple of years. Yeah. And then
1: they started it again when they brought the split back. So maybe, like, seven of these, I'd guess. And, That's like, right. the bragging rights pay-per-view made it seem actually important. Because they actually like, but like they never really settled on there being anything more than like, oh, you get bragging rights for being the best brand. I always thought it would be such a gimme to be like, all right, well, whichever team wins, that team gets to determine the number 30 pick in the Royal Rumble or just something yeah, like that. Something like
0: you get to pick somebody from their roster or you get the yes. main event of WrestleMania or just something like there just, should be some
1: stakes, just anything. It'd just be like, okay. That's or what even just
0: like the losing team, like the GM is going to be so mad, like there's going to be hell to
1: pay. Or actually, I thought about that a long time ago. The GM is the GM of the losing team is fired. Yeah, there yeah, it, it
0: is. For this, like Bischoff gets fired. That would have been perfect.
1: It even would have worked with the way Vince was portraying it too. Just like yeah. you guys are failures. You got a winner, you're fired. Yeah, that would have made total sense. Yeah. And then you can go either way with it. It doesn't really matter or bring him back. Or like Theodore Long literally had a second authority figure on the show with him at the time.
0: Oh, we're going to talk about Paul
1: Cannon. Oh, baby, we're going to talk about Paul Cannon. But like authority figures are a dime a fucking dozen. Like it does it's not hard to find a guy to play this role. <laughs> So, at Taboo Tuesday, which, God, we've got to do a Taboo
0: Tuesday at some point. What an absurd pay-per-view. we um, got to do
1: the first one, where it's just like, nobody one, knew what the hell was going on.
0: Yeah, this one had a hot, uh, no, this isn't the first. I, I think they did the first one in 2004. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this had a Raw versus SmackDown match, as Rey Mysterio and Matt Hardy beat Chris Masters and Snitsky. Yeah. Oh, Yeah um so yeah this led to you know bischoff making the challenge to teddy long you get five of your guys i'll get five of my guys we'll have a battle for brand supremacy and we ended up with a five on five match team raw is Shawn michaels kane uh the big show carlito and chris masters that's An okay team, but they used a lot of the Raw guys in other spots on the card. You know, Kurt
1: Angle, Triple H, John Cena are all in their own matches. It looks weaker now than it did at the time. Big Show and Kane were like a really dominant tag team at the time. And Carlito and Chris Masters were like two up-and-comers that they were pushing really hard. So, like, it's understandable then more than it is necessarily now looking at it.
0: Team SmackDown: uh, Batista, Rey Mysterio, JBL, Randy Orton, and Bobby Lashley, who's just
1: debuted a few weeks before this. It is so okay. Look, I I don't think I need to tell you guys that I might be the biggest Bobby Lashley fan outside of his immediate family. Um, it is way too soon for him to oh be God. in the main event of this show. He was
0: at least a year from like being ready to be on TV at all. Like, had he even started, like, the Finley feud yet? No, that's after this. They they, they put him with Finley because they just need somebody who can teach him how to wrestle. And
1: literally, like, their chemistry saves his career. Finley like, works a miracle. Like, they send Bobby Lashley out of this main event match so fast that it's, like, it's clear that everyone else is just like, yeah, get the kid out of here, for fuck's sake.
0: Yeah, he gets eliminated after,
1: like, two minutes, even though they're giving him a massive push. It's bad man he has no business but you can understand what vince sees because he looks like a person shouldn't be able to look like this dude has muscles that are so big and like due to his alopecia he has not a shred of like one body here on his entire body so he literally looks like an action figure come to life and he's an incredible
0: athlete he's an amateur wrestler he was in the army like he's a perfect like baby face
1: version version of brock lesnar when like Vince McMahon closes his eye and masturbates in beds quietly next to Linda. So she won't wake up. Bobby Lashley is the archetype that he's thinking of.
0: Uh, they shot some really fun, like brawl angles on the way into this. A-, a few of them stand out. There's one where like Batiste is in the ring and they shoot this really well where you can just see over his shoulder, like big show and Kane coming in through the crowd And I think they've, like, done a misdirection here where, like, a limo pulls into the parking lot and all the SmackDown guys, like, run out there because they think it's Team Raw in there. But then uh, Big Show and Kane sneak in through the crowd and they just destroy
1: Batista. Yes. And that's why he's got all the bandages on, which actually is more for his legitimate injury that he's trying to cover for. Well, then they did a brawl in the parking lot where they
0: choke-slammed him, like, off-camera through, like, a car window. That...
1: The the brawl in the parking lot is one so of the well best done. cinematography work that yeah. they've ever done for WWE. Where they like five guys line up face to face in just the parking lot.
0: It's like West Side Stories. They just slowly walk up to each other and like stand there, stare each other down for a minute, and then all hell breaks loose. Yes, yeah,
1: you almost it's literally the closest thing I can draw to it is like in Avengers Civil War where they all meet up in the in the airport. And then they literally yeah. just all start fighting. Because it's like that. Like, in, like, 30 seconds, like, Rey Mysterio's, like, jumping off of cars yeah. onto people. And uh, Bradshaw and just, 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 said, Bradshaw just always everything. seemed to
0: thrive in invasion storylines. Like, the APA was great during the invasion. Bradshaw
1: was awesome here. Oh, yeah. Because his whole deal is that he can be, like, he can deliver his, like, blood and guts, yeah. like, military speech to everybody and then just brawl with some fuckers in the parking lot that's all he ever wanted to do Yeah, so this i mean this just got over like this
0: sparked way more than i think anybody would have expected it to i mean oh, yeah. i feel like at this point these shows did have fairly distinct fan bases um smackdown's still on upn at this point i believe
1: If it isn't, then it's just got onto the CW. So, this might be after UPN closed down and it is the CW now.
0: Yeah, I think it is. But, like, SmackDown has
1: a distinct audience from Raw. Oh, yeah. And like I said, when Batista and Cena change shows, they have distinct audiences that don't necessarily follow them. It's provable. It's a fact.
0: Particularly,
1: SmackDown's got the huge Hispanic audience because of Eddie and Ray. Yeah, and that's why they're loading it up with Ray and Eddie and... Batista, who some people think is Hispanic, even though he's oh, Polynesian, Batista,
0: who's just kind of vaguely foreign. You know, yeah, they he promoted him. It was some real carny stuff. Like wherever they went, it was like, oh, Greece, he's got some Greek heritage. Oh, Brazil, he's got, he's Brazilian. Like
1: whatever he needed to be, he could be. This motherfucker's Polynesian. You can't take him from us. Fuck off, WWE. Um.
0: So yeah, I mean, that's your main event and that's really gotten over and some strong stuff on the undercard. You've got John Cena defending the WWE title against Kurt Angle and you've got uh, Triple H versus Ric Flair in a last man stand-in match. Um, Cena is... Feuding with Eric Bischoff. We've kind of been over all this. We did an episode on John Cena 2005. I'm sure you've heard it, because I'm pretty sure it's our most listened to episode ever.
1: It actually is. Like, it's just randomly our most ever listened to episode. It's not close. John
0: Cena draws, brother. He sure does. Um, so... Uh, they've obnoxiously stacked the deck against Cena here. Not only is he taking on Kurt Angle, Angle's manager Davari is going to be the referee. And yes, Kurt Angle has been paired with Davari because they're desperately trying to get the crowd to boo him against Cena and it's not working.
1: It is. WWE is, has a problem here at this point and they don't understand it and they won't understand it probably for another 10 years. They don't have the slightest idea why CNN is getting booed here. doesn't make sense. They're just doing normal babyface stuff. What they don't understand is that they've put him up against Jericho and Kurt Angle. And who are Yes, who are heroes to a section of the fans which are getting louder and louder and louder as the rest of their fan base starts tuning out. So, like, the smart crowd, which is now primarily the crowds that are actually coming to your shows, are getting loudly in favor of these guys. But WWE just sees them as normal, traditional heels and treats them as such. And so if they had put him up against, like, Chris Masters, I don't think they would have been cheering Chris Masters. But because they put him up against all these great workers in an attempt to help him overcome his deficiencies in the ring, it buries him. It buries him because they're so clearly better than him at that stuff and because those fans have loved these guys for years. And it's just – it's all the wrong decisions. (laughs) I think the
0: breaking point was a couple weeks after this when they put him, it was like a submission triple threat match against Angle and Chris Masters, and he just like breaks out the STF, which he's never used before, and like Masters taps out instantly, everybody's
1: just like, fuck this. Like, I give up. I believe he also broke the Master Lock in that match, which nobody had ever done. If he didn't do it then, he did it another time. And it's just like... L- Lashley broke the Master Lock. Yes, but Cena also did it before, and then they've just pretended like he hadn't when Lashley really? did it. Yeah. But like literally, this is when Cena always wins became the thing. Like this, this is yeah. when he became like the While first Cena real wrestling wins. meme. Yeah, lol, Cena wins every time.
0: Burr, burr, burr. Yeah, so listen to that abominable music.
1: <laughs> that music started off cool. Oh. By the time, by this point, it was so hated that literally you could get a visceral reaction out of people just by playing it and be like, and people would throw stuff. The crowd hasn't learned how to
0: like sing John Cena sucks with it quite yet,
1: but that's coming, man. They feel that so passionately. And the funny thing is, is that when you watch this, it's not as bad as it became with Roman later, because there's still a segment of the fans who passionately love John Cena and would never stop loving him. Even here, like there's, it, oh, you yeah. hear Here, it's it's not that and yeah nobody's cheering cena
0: sucks yet it's let's go angle let's go cena and like yeah. there's
1: booze but it's more cheers for angle than it is booze for cena it's when they put him up against triple h who they also don't like and triple h buries him intentionally on the mic giving them an invitation to boo cena that's when it goes downhill <laughs>
0: And what's so perplexing to me about that is Triple H was about to turn face and they were about to bring back DX. So why not turn Cena heel there? It's such a natural double turn. Make Cena Vince's corporate champion and you have him fight DX and that would have been hot.
1: There is no point of even going down that road because as we know now, they never Never for one fucking second even considered it. They just
0: could not turn him i And I kind of get it, and it turned out okay, but after some initial green shoots here, their business is gonna go down for a long time,
1: yeah, eventually they will it will be borne out, but if he doesn't become literally one of like maybe the ten best performers in wrestling history, it wouldn't have worked like later on, ten years later, we would finally respect him enough to start cheering him again, but like. Look at what happened and now, to Roman. Now when
0: he shows up, he gets rabid cheers the couple oh, yeah. times a year he shows up. Or I'd love to see him back in the ring. I don't know if I don't know what his future holds at this point.
1: Yeah. But at this point, he's done so much cool shit that he's like one of the greatest ever. Like you could genuinely say, John's they say John Cena the best of all time, and it doesn't feel weird for them to say it. You know what I mean? Like that that took a long time of steering into the wind. And then they tried it again with Roman and it just didn't work because Roman wasn't good enough. That's the simple facts.
0: <sighs> um, also going on, Triple H feuding with Ric Flair. Uh, Triple H was gone for a couple months after he lost to Batista in a Hell in a Cell match back in June. He came back on that raw homecoming show to uh, team with Flair against Carlito and Chris Masters. But then he turns on Flair Beat the shit out of him, you know, busted him open, like threw him in a limo and was like, get this piece of garbage out of here. And he later explained that he did this because Flair was washed up and he was embarrassing himself. You know, he's the Intercontinental Champion now instead of the World Champion. So I'm going to put him down like
1: old Yeller. This is one of probably like three or four times in Triple H's career where the fans really wanted him to be a babyface. And it was time for him to be a babyface. And they just didn't do it. Like it like this it's the exact same thing as when he came back with Shawn Michaels and then turned on him. Yeah. Except like or,
0: the, or when he came out to fight Austin after WrestleMania instead joined up with him.
1: Yeah. It's just like he just
0: really wants to be
1: a heel. He just yeah. has no interest in being a babyface and like later when the, he would turn face, the fans were so rapidly ready for it that they made tons of money off of it. But just for some reason they would never go. Like, here was the perfect time. After Batista beats him, literally, they do that promo in the locker room. Yeah, respect Daniel. is just like, you know what? He was the better man. That's evolution. That's such a perfect cap on the whole heel run. Turn face now. Now. Didn't happen. This was a good feud with Flair, though. I guess there was no room for him to be a face with Cena coming over. So it's not like they needed a top face. And I'm sure they already had eyes on... Like, this whole thing is about getting Triple H heat so he can face Cena at WrestleMania. That's that's what they're building to here. It'll turn out to be a total disaster, but that's what they're building to.
0: Um, Flair beat Triple H in a cage match at Taboo Tuesday. Tonight they have a rematch and a last-man-standing match. The Intercontinental title will not be on the line, which I think tells you what the result is going to be. Yep. <laughs> um... I guess the one other notable thing is uh, Steve Austin almost wrestled the month before this. What? Against Jonathan Coachman at Taboo oh, this Tuesday. Is, this is the Coachman thing. Yeah. So, uh, so the storyline, this is, I guess we skipped over Jr. and Dr. Heine too.
1: Um, oh. Jim
0: Ross had to have emergency colon surgery or prostate, prostate surgery. Um, this
1: is one of the most insane things WWE yeah. has ever done.
0: So Jim Ross has to have emergency surgery on his prostate, is going to be you know, gone for several months recovering from this. So they do an angle on TV where Vince fires him. And then the next week, they, I believe, ended Raw with this insane, or maybe it was. it may not have ended Raw, but I think it was the 10 p.m. segment, which yes. is the second most important second or third most important on the show depending on how you want to look at it it's the crossover segment shows are ending at no, at 10 o'clock people are flipping channels looking for something to watch you want something that's going to catch their eye and hook them and keep them for the final hour they put the dr Heine segment with vince mcmahon on in the 10 p.m hour steve you want to paint us a word picture about the dr Heiney sketch I'm trying to remember what person. So Vince is like in scrubs and he's got like his gloves and all the stuff. What is the perspective? I'm trying. Are we like looking like hypothetically at Jr. who's like on a surgical table and covered with yeah, sheets like, and stuff? Yeah,
1: it's like it's like they show women giving birth on TV. Like yeah. you never see his head, but there's like a cowboy hat. But he's turned over, so he's like, and well, I, I hate to put it this way, considering who we're talking about, but doggy style positions. Yeah.
0: And like, yeah, Vince is like pulling things out of his ass, like what he's pulled cowboy hat, barbecue sauce. And then the big payoff is he pulls out like a JR head on a thing. He's like, oh, he's got his head up his ass.
1: And that's it. Yeah. That's, and then it just that's the end of the segment. We're back to the show like it has no bearing. Nothing comes of this. Yeah. And it's so super produced. It's like they spent like actual money filming this. Yeah. And like Jim Ross did not appreciate
0: this. Like he well, spoke no
1: shit. <laughs> like
0: I mean mostly he's just like, yeah, my family was really upset. Like my kids watched the show at that point and like I was in the hospital recovering and like they were watching me get made fun of on national TV.
1: And this is far from the first or last time Vince would do oh, this.
0: Together. How many times did they go out of their way to humiliate him? Like at every opportunity, every, every opportunity and not in like a let's get heat way, you know, like let's be
1: a dick to this guy. Cause we don't like him kind of way. Because really there's very little heat to get on JR. Like you can't pay that off ever. Like when Austin was his friend. Okay, sure. That, that would build towards an Austin thing, but anything after that, Like, what are you building towards? JR's big comeback? Yeah. That big JR match? So, yeah, I mean, this was
0: to set up Steve Austin wrestling Jonathan Coachman, like, to get JR's job back. The problem is, like, they didn't tell Austin they wanted him to lose right away. Like, he was, I think, under the impression, of course, he's going to beat Coach in this quote-unquote match they were going to have.
1: How fucking insane is it that they were seriously going to have Jonathan Coachman beat Steve Austin in any capacity, like, in I'm any sure way? 50 people would have
0: interfered, and yeah, like the 100th Army Battalion would have blown Austin up and Coach would have pinned him. But still, like, this was going to be Steve Austin's return match, and he was going to lose to Jonathan Coachman.
1: Yeah, because he hadn't wrestled a real match since 03. No
0: uh yeah he he did that match against the rock and he never wrestled again he did like he had gotten physical a bunch of times like he took bumps he stunned like it was not like he could like this wouldn't have been that different from the stuff he had been doing anyway it's just the bell was actually going to ring here
1: but like a real match that you could put on a marquee like austin returns to the ring (laughs) against the coach
0: so, yeah, like, then they tell him, like, oh, yeah, Steve, we want you to lose. Like, JR's not ready to come back yet, so you, you have to lose to coach, man.
1: And his horse got sick.
0: <laughs> he, <laughs> quote-unquote, hurt his back moving furniture.
1: Oh, no, Vince, uh, I hurt my uh, hurt my back lifting a couch there. I can't make it. Yeah. <laughs> very convenient this happened
0: to hogan a few times he didn't want to do business too i think
1: well, i think it happened to kevin nash also like oh uh, i was listening lifting a chest to kids toys right, a heart attack oh boy
0: <laughs> pop my quad <sighs> so yeah they have to pull that match instead they put together batista versus coach and then they're like oh coach needs some heaters who can we get vader and gold dust they unearthed these two from <laughs> hell. <laughs> Dustin was not in a good place at this point.
1: He was like fresh off his TNA run or about to do it. I can't remember. Where he rain. was black rain with a rat in a cage.
0: <laughs> Despite all his rage, he was still just a rat in the cage.
1: Invader looks like a balloon at the Macy's parade. Oh
0: God. He just like falls off the apron at some point and the camera tries to cut away but
1: he looks like a beached whale it's so bad guys i i can't even relate to you how embarrassing this all is
0: all in all nothing comes of this it's just fascinating that austin almost got back in the ring here i mean one of many times i feel like he was right on the brink of doing a match and it just they pitched him a bunch of wrestlemanias against vince against hogan against other and they just never could quite get him back in there
1: and honestly on his part that's probably smart because now the saudi payday he's gonna get's gonna be way bigger than any of those (laughs) oh we can't wrestle anymore whatever Austin versus um, The Rock. They'll both just drink beer and sing songs and then leave.
0: So we glossed over. With JR out, they needed a new play-by-play guy for Raw. And they got Joey Styles. Joey I think Styles! Other, Joey Styles is great. I loved Joey Styles in w- until they moved him to DCW and he didn't care anymore. But I thought his run on Raw here was tremendous and he was a very much a vo- voice of... Fr- breath of fresh air. I love Jim Ross, but... Same voice for years and years starts to get old. Having somebody different calling Raw was cool.
1: Yeah, and like if you're launching like a new era, to have a new voice of the new era is such like a nice, fresh thing. And like in the first couple of months while he was there, Joey came prepared. He was busting his ass. He was like literally like lighting himself on fire for every match to get excited. Like he would make you feel something about a Chris Masters match that like you would never want to feel. It was perfect for a minute. Yeah. And, then, and Vince, it's exactly the same as Moro Ronaldo. Like, yeah, Vince exactly just drove him insane.
0: Right down to the unfortunate confrontation with JBL.
1: Gosh, yeah. You got to stop putting JBL with these, like, small nerd announcers. It's, Unfortunately, I don't think well. Moro ever knocked out JBL like Joey did. I got it. We can wish. Joey knocking out JBL is one of the greatest underdog stories in sports history. Hero. What a god Joey Styles was. But here, he's just trying his best. And he's, like, really doing it. And you can tell that there's a million people in his ear. And, like, Vince is trying to tell him. Which is funny, because if any announcer in the history of wrestling has been what Vince wants an announcer to be, you'd think it'd be Joey Styles. He's as northeast as you can possibly get. Right? What is Vince looking for, is the question. Vince.
0: Yeah, I guess. Or Michael Cole. Because he's stuck with Michael Cole forever.
1: But I feel like every time he has the opportunity, he sho- he shoves Michael Cole off to the B show and replaces him with somebody else. Whoever like I don't
0: this guy who's calling Raw now is I don't
1: even remember his name. Uh, Michael Cole's just the guy who'd never quit. And yeah. it's Vic Fangio, I believe. That's not no. <laughs> it's Vic something. Vic Joseph. Yeah. Vic Fangio is uh, the, the is head Fangio? coach of the Denver Broncos okay so I'm mixing up a lot
0: of things here yeah but yeah I mean they have just I mean it's just we've talked about this before but yeah Vince just look cycled through how many common how many play-by-play guys over the years how many did he just run off the face of the earth
1: how many Todd Grishams how many Josh yeah. Matthews
0: Guys not those teams, guys were that good, but they were, they had guys who were good and he would run them off just the same.
1: And like most of them never even got the chance to find out if they were good. Like Josh Matthews got like, what, like six months on SmackDown? Yeah. Like who knows if he was good? Now we found out in TNA that he's not good and he yeah. sucks ass, but like, we didn't know that then. Todd Rich Grisham's anchor
0: on Sports Center.
1: <laughs> <sighs>
0: but yeah, I mean, so that's, To explain, Joey Styles is calling Raw Um, something different. And different is what this company needed at this point.
1: What it didn't need was heel Jonathan Coachman on
0: on commentary. Sticking up
1: the airwaves. Uh, It's such a precursor to heel Michael Cole, but Cole was so much better at it.
0: We'll talk about heel Cole sometime, because I have very mixed feelings on that. But I just... Good heel commentary is good, but so many people who do it are not good at it.
1: No. Like and
0: most people. miss the thread that what Jesse Ventura did that was so good was Jesse Ventura put people over. He didn't just get himself. He got himself over too, but he put the wrestlers over during his commentary. Yeah,
1: When the match started, it was about the match. It wasn't about whatever fucking material you worked up before the match. Like what made Jerry Lawler good when he was good was him reacting to what was happening, not and to put that stuff over, not just doing like a fucking stand-up comedy routine. Jonathan Coachman is not funny. No, he's not. What? Is, what did they see in this guy?
0: There's and He's element. got. He's got experience calling mainstream sports.
1: He's like a mainstream newscaster. Let me tell you what they saw in him. They saw Stuart Scott. Yeah. That's legitimately because he's got kind of like Scott was funny. I know. But like Jonathan Cochran seems like such like a poor man, Stuart Scott, that he's just, he's got kind of that rap to him. And he's like knowledgeable about sports. And you want, you think that something good's going to come of it. And then he just never says anything insightful or good ever. That's the problem.
0: So to get to the show. It's uh, Sunday, November 27th, 2005. We are at the Joe Lewis Arena in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, probably sell out about 15,000 in attendance. Uh, show does about 400,000 buys. Pretty strong number for the time. That's up from 325,000 the year before for Team Orton versus Team Evolution. Uh, that Survivor Series match included Maven and Snitsky. Hard to believe that didn't draw.
1: Wasn't that the one where if they won, whichever team won, they would each get got to be the GM? Yeah, yeah. For
0: each each member got to run raw for a week because Bischoff was going to go
1: on vacation. Yeah, and Eugene won one of them, and that's why like Hell in a be Castle and yeah. musical chairs happened. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was yeah, good. that was actually a fun gimmick. <laughs> Maven put uh, himself in a world title match.
0: On commentary for Raw, we've got Joey Styles, Jerry Lawler, and Jonathan Coachman. And for SmackDown, Michael Cole and Taz. And we will get combinations of these guys all throughout the night. Because we've got Raw matches, we've got SmackDown matches,
1: and we've got Raw versus SmackDown matches. Now, see, I thought that this was both a bad idea and a great idea. It was a great idea just to see, like, the different matchups. So it would be like Joey Styles and... uh, like whoever but then like it'd be like michael cole and taz and they would just be like lighting each other on fire the whole time or like joey styles and taz and like i like it when they're combative that way it kind of feels almost like jr and paul Heyman did like we just covered them as the commentary team arguably the best commentary team of all time like there were flashes of this but then when the main event came and they literally put all of them on the mic at the same time
0: they always do that like more is not better just pick two of them and it's just a disaster because they're all like we're your best too. it's Joey and Taz.
1: Yeah. And literally like it's clear that they thought that having them argue would like create some authenticity and to assert like in these smaller segments it does when it's just like Joey and Taz or like Michael Cole and coach or like that's a hellish combination. But still you get what I'm saying like it, it does put over the rivalry a little bit more. But when everybody is just like literally shooting on each other in the main event. <laughs> When, like, Taz is just yelling over everyone, like, everybody shut up. You all suck. (laughs) That's not great.
0: Um, On Sunday Night Heat, Hooven 2 defeated Simon Dean in four minutes and ten seconds.
1: Fucking legendary.
0: (laughs) I just love, like, how, has there ever been a good Sunday Night Heat or Dark match before one of these pay-per-views? I feel like every single one of these pay-per-views, we just shit on whatever match that was.
1: I know, it's pretty funny. Though, honestly, I feel like I would have enjoyed Simon Dean versus Hoovy at this point. Like, that sounds like love an enjoyable some, love match. Me Hoovey, love, love me some Hoovy. Love me some Mexicools. We're not Mexicans. <sighs> we're Mexicals.
0: To be honest, oh. I did
1: like the Mexicools.
0: <laughs> you were the only
1: one. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Opening match, it's match one of a best-of-seven series between Chris Benoit and Booker T for the U.S. Oof. title.
1: Uh, why do they feel the need to do this? When these guys are 10 years older than last time when it was good. Yeah, Here's the thing. like this, In WCW, this match kind of helps put both guys on the map. Yeah. Obviously, they're both on the map to some extent. These matches were awesome. Like, literally... They made this best of 7 series and it was the highlight of every show it was on. Yeah. These guys in WCW they could have gone for 2 hours straight. Like they are like cardio cardioed out, they're hungry, they're trying to steal the show, they're tearing the house down.
0: Yeah. Here now, Benoit is jacked up on steroids and Booker's got a gut.
1: Yeah, Booker's older. Like he's not old, he's still capable of having good matches but he's not springy Booker T who's like hungry and out for blood anymore. Like he's just, this is not a Booker T who's going to deliver a five-star singles match ever again. Like he never does. That's not his job anymore though. So they do these matches and they do like full five of them that are just dull as fucking dishwater. Well,
0: the other thing that happens is Booker gets
1: hurt. Yes. So they have to sub in Randy Orton. Which A... It's a better match. Yeah. That's probably what you should have just been doing to begin with. But B, yeah, actually. it makes no sense.
0: I, what were you going to do? Booker was hurt. He couldn't wrestle. He could have just dropped this thing quietly, which wouldn't have
1: been the worst idea. Yeah, Booker just be like, hey, when I heal up, we'll do this again in eight months. Yeah. And just hold off on that match until no one remembers. Uh, um, make Charmel wrestle Ben Wadler for the last one
0: uh benoit pretty over there's loud benoit chants uh booker hits him with a t-bone suplex to open uh they're promoting a smackdown special that will have Rey mysterio versus big show on it i'm pretty sure this is the one that ends with uh, orton killing taker with eddie's low rider
1: i believe you're right
0: does he like back it into the stage and the stage explodes or some bullshit like that
1: God damn, they were doing some stupid shit at this point. What a
0: creatively bankrupt time this is.
1: Guess who was in charge? Bruce Prichard. Bruce
0: Britchard. <laughs> Guess who's actually been writing SmackDown the entire time Derek Bischoff was supposedly in charge?
1: Yeah, here's the deal, boys and girls. The two most creatively bankrupt times in the history of WWE are 2005 to 2007 era SmackDown and current era WWE guess who was in charge for both times yeah yeah uh booker benoit
0: wrestle on the mat benoit gets the better of it benoit gets some kind of leg hold on booker booker gets the ropes and bails out to the floor um booker gets back in the ring benoit gets him in the corner uh benoit charges booker gets his boots up benoit manages to rally he hits a german suplex booker shuts it down with a harlem sidekick uh, benoit double legs booker he goes for the sharpshooter but booker rolls through into a cradle for a two count uh, benoit breaks out the rolling german suplexes again connects with three of them goes up top for the diving headbutt but charmel grabs his leg uh, booker pops up but benoit knocks him off the top rope Benoit hits the diving or goes for the diving headbutt, but Booker rolls out of the way. Booker then catches Benoit with an Oklahoma roll, gets his feet on the ropes. Charmel holds him for extra leverage. Uh, he gets the pin to go up 1-0 in the series. Not a bad match. Little long. Obviously, couldn't live up to the matches they had in WCW, but just in a
1: vacuum, a good match. Yeah. I mean I really thought that Benoit came out here like thinking that he was going to have a match of that level. Like He came out here pumped the fuck up, yeah. but like his chemistry with Booker at the beginning just wasn't what it had been before, and I think that's just because Booker was a step slower. Like Benoit just kept rushing in, and Booker wasn't ready for him, and it just seemed like it was off for like the first five minutes of the match. They eventually got it going, but it just never really, it's kind of an eh, it's like the definition of a three-star match, right? Yeah.
0: Nothing wrong with that, but yeah, you just expect I
1: more mean, from these guys. Yeah, and if you're going to do seven of these, you definitely want the first one to be better than that.
0: Yeah, And th- it, that's, it just became such a drag, these guys wrestling
1: every week, because they couldn't have the matches they had before. No, and then, is it after this or before? No, it was before that they did this with Cena, and that was a fucking disaster. Oh my
0: god, Cena and Booker. Like why did didn't they think they do, Booker could didn't do, do this? Did they do like
1: Christian and
0: Booker in one of these too? Like what did they think what did they see here? What did they see in Booker T that made them say, let's have him wrestle the same guy over and over and over again?
1: Yeah, that one wasn't official. It was just they kept swapping the Intercontinental title for like 6 months. Yeah. <laughs> um, what did you think of when they did this with Sheamus and Cesaro? I loved it. Cuz yeah. those matches were killer. Like they were beating right. the shit out of each other. And it eventually led to something. It led to them teaming up. And the bar is arguably one of the Great smartest acting. booking things they've done. Yeah.
0: Um, we see Eric Bischoff backstage warming up for his match against Teddy Long. Vince McMahon stops by to wish him good luck. And Bischoff says he's going to screw John Cena tonight like Vince screwed Bret Hart in 1997. Cena shows up and scares Bischoff off. Vince starts no. to jive talk with Cena, you know, asks him what's good in the hood. And somehow this ends
1: with Vince saying the N-word. Ladies and gentlemen, Vince McMahon openly says the N-word on this broadcast. That is neither something we should forgive or forget, or it's kind of just been relegated to the wrestle Crap dustbin along with a million other things. But I need you to understand, this is not something they've scrubbed from the network. You can go on the network right now and hear Vince McMahon say the N-word proudly to his top talent. And then his top black star come out and then do a little comedy bit about how funny it was that Vince said the N-word. This happened. Yeah, we panned
0: to Booker T who does his, you know, tell me he did not just say that. Which is as good as making Booker T say, ah, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah, I'm... This is the kind of thing where like, I'm sure they asked Booker to do it. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. But like, what else is he going to say?
1: Yeah. Just be like, uh, no, that's fucking racist as shit, Vince. Yeah. It, it's racist enough that the first time you give let somebody have a rapper gimmick that gets over and you push him super hard, it's a white guy. But to, <laughs> you can't say the N-word to him. Yeah, that's what MVP would have said. And that's why
0: he didn't last with this company.
1: Yep, that's a very true statement. It, okay i need you to understand this and i'm saying it from my soul vince mcmahon says the n-word on this show and it's not the most racist thing somebody says on this show we're getting (laughs) getting to
0: that uh next up we've got a women's championship match as trish takes on melina this is raw versus smackdown trish is on raw melina's on smackdown uh Melina and Eminem kidnapped Trish and held her hostage to set this up. Yeah, that's a thing. They yeah, sure like, did. They like show up in masks and like drag her away from ringside backstage and then when they take off their masks and reveal like it's Mercury and Nitro, it's like, oh, who the hell cares?
1: Yeah. A couple things about this. I believe this is Melina's first main roster match. And she would go on to have many, many more. And also, this is during the Mickey James time. The Mickey James as yeah. the st- the stalker best friend of Trish Stratus. That was a great storyline. Yeah, where she just—it's basically a redo of the Sable Tory storyline, except done well. Yeah, except good. And Melina would eventually, or Mickey would eventually turn heel by wanting to have uh, lesbian sex with Trish Stratus that she was not good for. So Licky turns on and, her.
0: And unsurprisingly, that made her a baby face.
1: Yes. Uh, which would lead to maybe the most jiffed WrestleMania match in the history of the promotion. God.
0: I, I've heard that, like, that's the angriest anyone has ever seen Vince. Oh, really? Yeah. She did the thing where she grabbed Trish by the, you know what?
1: Yep. And, and then licks then her
0: hand. Licks her hand. Yeah. Vince was... Furious at that. Well I would, I would say say it's... Just like Vince's moral code of like what's okay and what's not okay is so fascinating to me.
1: I guarantee you he would have been okay with him doing that.
0: Uh we've got Joey Styles and Taz on commentary for this one. Uh Trish hits a crossbody off the top to the floor that takes out all three members of Eminem. Uh, Melina takes over with a sleeper slam Melina, this yelling thing yeah got really annoying really fast yeah <laughs> it really and did just did not need that after every single move
1: it's one of those things where Melina's not at all ready to be in the ring really yet i mean she had been training in obw but i she's greener than shit by the time she retires she's still greener than shit to be honest even with several years of wrestling under her belt like she just was never particularly good at it and she's doing it to be heelish like her whole deal is like over the top heelish stuff it's not working but nobody tells her and she just keeps doing it
0: um Melina goes up to the top rope trish hits that awesome um, like handstand hurricane rana deal yes Oh I love that. Yeah. Love that. Love the uh much trish.
1: Yeah, honestly, Trish Stratus being as good as she was at this point made no sense and was so wasted on who they had her up against half the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um uh Trish hits a spine buster, she goes for stratisfaction, but Melina blocks it and Trish lands on the apron uh trish comes off the top rope with a diving bulldog to get the win not a bad match i didn't hate it
1: it was fine Molina wasn't really ready to be in the ring but they didn't prolong it too much trish gets a clean win it's all good
0: yeah um we get a quick shot of triple h warming up before a video package for the Flair triple h match and it's time for our last man standing match as triple
1: h battles his mentor rick flair If you told me ahead of this match that it was going to last 27 minutes, I would have hit the skip button on this fucking match so hard I would have left a dent in the controller. Triple H at this point has so much stroke, and there's so little else on this card, that it seems like every single show that he's on from like 2003 to 2006, he wrestles for 30 minutes and nobody tells him otherwise, even though he's clearly in the worst cardio shape of his life. Oh, how trashy does he look here? He is so bloated, (laughs) and he's got the
0: Harley Race mustache sideburns. That is the most heelish facial hair imaginable. And, like, his hair's all greasy and shit. It looks like
1: 2002...
0: He, like, doesn't wet wet his hair, so it's all, like, blonde
1: and gross. Literally, it looks like 2002 Triple H spent four years just eating Pizza Hut and drinking milk. And then he just came out for a match. Him and Stephanie were
0: trying to have a baby at this time, so draw your own conclusions. But also, like he's,
1: it's like you're taking the steroids, but you're not working out as assiduously, so it still <laughs> puffs you up, yeah. but you don't actually get shredded. You just get big, you know? It's bad. He looks bad.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. Gotta confess, though, loved this match. This is a really good match. It goes on far too long. A Triple H match was too long.
1: No. But even by that standards, like... <laughs> yeah. The story of this is that Ric Flair has lost a step and one not admit it. But he, in this match, he's going to put up the fight of his life and prove that he's not done yet, right? Yeah. With that said... He shouldn't be going 27 minutes and kicking out of three pedigrees. That's just, it doesn't make sense with the story. Uh, Triple H jumps Flair
0: in the aisle before Flair can get his robe off. Uh, Triple H gets a chair, but Flair gets a kendo stick and hits him in the face. They fight into the crowd. Flair charges him and gets backdropped over the barricade. Uh, Triple H hits a back suplex on the floor and then runs Flair into the post. And Flair Blades a gusher
1: here. Oh, man, does he blade.
0: Gotta love a good Ric Flair blade blade job. And is, best, is he the best blade, bleeder of all time? I just love the way the blood would get in his hair.
1: Yeah, I think he has to be just because of the hair. Like, he and Shawn Michaels at this point are, like, competing to see who can do the most wicked blade jobs on the themselves.
0: Most unnecessary blade jobs. Oh, no, like, Shawn Michaels got
1: a suplexed,
0: blade job. <laughs> I mean, this is a, this is a match that could use blood. This was okay. Oh, sure. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I love that he, Flair was smart in that he'd always blade like towards the beginning of the match so that by the end it's all dried and crusted on his face and he looks like he's been through hell. Triple H beats up Flair and then gets a
0: fucking screwdriver and yes. carves Flair's forehead with it.
1: Fucking take that, awesome!
0: Take that, Kenny Omega and John Moxley. <laughs> this is how it's done.
1: That's some brutal shit.
0: A screwdriver, Ric Flair. I mean, this is the forerunner to hardcore ECW, Ric Flair. Oh right, I loved, I loved the few times he would do this
1: kind of stuff. 'Cause it was just so different. Or when he'd be in like a TLC match and he'd be like, You mean the austere legend of technical wrestling? That TLC match against Edge was so great. Where he just like you genuinely don't think that he's even gonna go through with it. And then like he's just fucking doing fucking crossbodies off the ladder and shit. It's a couple it's only that's a couple months after this. That's in January. Also, let the record show, Ric Flair at this point is six years older than Chris Jericho is now. Yeah. Just for reference. He is ancient. Yes. Um, Triple H with a spine
0: buster on the floor. Uh, Triple H gets on the mic, tells Flair to stay down or he's going to put him down
1: permanently.
0: Flair responds by grabbing Triple H by the balls. This is like my favorite Ric Flair move.
1: Just when he loses his mind and becomes like sex pervert, Ric Flair (laughs) grab the nearest genitals. That's his instinctual move. Uh, Triple H goes for the pedigree
0: uh, through the announce table, but he gets backdropped like off that table through the other table. That's a sick bump.
1: Yeah. I was actually surprised by how much like Triple H was taking bumps in this match, to be honest. I mean he was just extra motivated when he was working with Flair. He um, just always wanted to, I think Triple H during this period in his is in his I want to have the best match of all time period. Yeah. And like he doesn't get anywhere near close with any of these matches. No. But like he really so clearly wants it, right?
0: I loved. Do you remember the match he had against Flair on Raw? Yes. Like 2 years before this. Yeah. I do. That was an incredible match. Um, they go back in the ring. Triple H goes for the pedigree on a chair, but Flair gets him with a low blow and then blasts him in the face with the chair. Flair crotches Triple H on the ring post five times. Really working that dick over. <laughs> really working the balls. Just uh, You got to pick a body part and stick to it, kid. Then he gets him with the chop chop block locks on the figure four uh, Tripp, Triple H taps out. Obviously that doesn't matter. It's a last man standing match. Flair breaks the hold. Referee starts counting. Uh, Triple H makes it to his feet just before 10. Yep. Uh, Triple H gets the ring steps, but Flair counters it with a drop toe hold. Uh, Triple H recovers he gets the pedigree. Flair gets to his feet. Another pedigree. Flair gets up again. A third pedigree. Flair gets up again. And Seriously? That's... Overkill, yeah.
1: Like, I'm totally in favor of doing this with, like, he, kick, he gets up after the first pedigree.
0: One pedigree, and then he knocks him out with the sledgehammer. He couldn't put him down with his finish. He had to get the hammer to
1: do it. But the pedigree is arguably the most protected finisher in the history of wrestling. So to have old-ass Ric Flair get up after three of them is a fucking slap in the face. Like, no, that's ridiculous. You think of all the guys who went down to just one? Everybody. Everybody went down to just one. Yeah. It's just, it's not, there's a point at which, like, you just lose the crowd. Like, after he gets up after the second one, the crowd is going nuts. After the third one, the crowd just kind of like, uh, what the fuck? Like, they don't pop anymore. They're just like, what's going on? (laughs) Now you're just subverting their expectations for no reason.
0: Uh, Triple H gets the sledgehammer, blasts Flair in the face with it. Flair is out, can't answer the count. Triple H wins, loved it. Just a
1: war. I mean, this is exactly what it should have been made total sense i was with it
0: this easily could have been like flair's career on earth this would have been a very appropriate
1: note for him to go out on yeah he had a whole lot of those <laughs> yeah yeah just know uh, that I, this may uh, to this day i believe this is the benchmark for the best match ever had by someone 55 years or older if you can find one out there held by somebody that was that age or older i will be more than happy to consider it but I think like we can officially call this the benchmark for that, right? Seems fair. Yeah. There's a lot of guys right now who are creeping towards that age, so it's possible this is he was still four years older than Undertaker is now. <laughs> How ancient does
0: Undertaker seem at this point? How old That's, is Triple H now? Like Triple H fifty
1: yet? I don't think he's fifty yet. He's fifty on the dot, born oh, sixty nine. Yeah. So, five years from now, Triple H is having this match with Orton? Is that what we're
0: oh, doing? he probably will be. Orton will be carving his head up with a screwdriver five years from now at WrestleMania.
1: See, I'm ready for Deathmatch Triple H, though, aren't you? Wouldn't that be a great twist? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we all are. The fucking Deathmatch Destroyer. <laughs> is there
0: any question Orton is going to retire Triple H? I don't think there is.
1: Oh, he's got to, right? Like, yeah. I create, you created me, and I'll now take you get you out. the
0: Destroyer. Blah, 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 and such. And then he could
1: be the Destroyer Randy Orton for the last five years of his pointless career. Have <laughs> uh, I mentioned Sh- on the show real quick that I'm pissed off that he re-signed with WWE and didn't go to AEW? Like, I know... Yeah, but I am, too. Academically, it makes more sense to stick what with what you're known. What a great dickhead heel he would be in AEW. He is the personification of everything that That's, audience hates. It's perfect.
0: Like, if you were going to lead, like kind of make like a nwo type stable of like WWE guys invading like he'd be the guy to
1: lead it and he's still so young and has so many years left in the business and like he can still ha- he could have all those great matches what is he like 35 yeah like he's <laughs> literally like four years younger than aj styles <laughs> yeah since we're talking about
0: this how old is randy orton maybe 37 i'm kidding. 39 actually a little older than i thought he's been around so long but he could literally these days have 10 more years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was. I mean, here in 2005, he already felt like. I mean, he'd already been on the main roster for three years. He already felt like a veteran at this
1: point. That was 14 years. There's nobody left on the roster but him from here. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, Team
0: SmackDown backstage gets in an argument about who the captain is. Eventually, they all agree it's Batista because they're all afraid of him makes sense and then edge comes out with lita for the first edition of the cutting edge
1: oh boy did this go off the rails real quick before we talk about what a shitty segment this is let me talk about what a great segment it is okay edge and lita come out and there's something special about edge and lita together so hateable edge is such a dirt bag Here's the, like also though they are like maybe the two most attractive people ever paired up in the history of wrestling. Like oh, yeah. Edge just always looks like he's right about to start having sex and Lita just always looks like she was just got done having sex and like it's such a powerful combination. Yeah. And then and, they literally did almost have sex on live TV. I mean it made total sense. And that was one of the biggest ratings so, pops in the history of the, the yeah. company
0: and rated our superstar edge Oh, they fucked him over so bad taking the belt off him so fast yeah
1: but i mean they're they're he's creeping towards what he would eventually become here like he's finally got the gimmick that's gonna work and it's getting over big time it's not quite there like it won't be until he finally gets the belt like he's one of those people who got the belt and that's what made them like it's instead of it like being too much like when he gets it it solidifies him and then he's good for for life but man he's just there's something electric when they come out here like the fans are just like oh shit it's these guys fuck yes um chat crowd chants
0: slut at lita um edge mostly talks shit about detroit sports teams uh plenty of shit to talk about them at this point
1: Yeah, it wasn't going super great. The Pistons had just lost in the finals. Yeah,
0: Pistons lost game seven of the finals. Um, Red Wings, I think, had been knocked out in the first round of the playoffs the previous year. The Tigers sucked, although they would much to everyone's surprise make the World Series the year
1: after this. You just got to understand, every time we watch a wrestling show that takes place in Michigan, I always chuckle to myself because I know there's going to be a period during the show where a heel insults all of Steve's favorite sports (sighs) teams. Not hard to do, and the lions were the lions.
0: <laughs> this was uh the John Kitna era, I believe. The best part about it No, it's was, the Joey it's, Harrington era, even worse. Is yeah, like Edge just says, Front row and calls him Mark Henry. Okay calling him Border, mar- you know, questionable
1: Dimitri Young is a large man with dreadlocks who happens to be an African American it's racist to call him that just because he's another African American with dreadlocks I feel like it's it-
0: within the bounds of what's acceptable for a wrestling heel though yeah, it's what a shitty person
1: would say and he's okay. gonna get his
0: comeuppance in a second but that's not the worst part of this segment it's oh, oh. much worse from here uh, we'll right <laughs> Young gets the mic. And
1: what does Jerry Lawler say? As Edge Edge gives Lita the mic to go and interview Dimitri Young. As she's getting out of the ring, Jerry Lawler says, Psh, I wonder if he can even speak English. Was that Lawler? Or was that Coach? No, that was Lawler. And then Why Coach is the one Jerry Lawler shit on the hometown baby face. It literally makes no sense. Oh. And then Coach. I don't know if to cover it or to take the lead. Coach, as an African-American man, it's unthinkable that he would say this, but he kind of laughs and then says, yeah, he probably just speaks Ebonics. Oh, my God. This is... The fuck is wrong with this company? I mean, look, like, this is some of the most racist commentary I've ever heard from this company, and this is a company where Jerry Lawler would say, like, ching-chong bing-bong whenever Mishinoku was on the screen. This is next level fucked up we're in 2005 people yeah and that i mean to his credit dimitri young proceeds to cut a pretty good promo yeah so he starts going off about you know all the champions you know the
0: detroit red wings won this many world championships Detroit tigers this many world championships um and then he's then he points out that Edge has never been the world champion, which is like the dig on Edge kind of through this era of him as a heel, as he's never won the he's never won the title.
1: Yeah, he always comes close, but he never gets there.
0: Yeah, till so he cashes in money in the bank in the most epic way possible. Yeah, this was a
1: really like one of the best athlete promos I ever remember hearing, just off the cuff. Like I was like, oh shit, we might get a match out of this. Yeah.
0: Dimitri Young, also never a world champion. Yeah, Dimitri Young won't
1: continue being relevant for very much longer.
0: <laughs> this is pretty much his peak when he was the Tigers' token all-star in these years.
1: Yep.
0: Ooh, next up, WWE Championship match. John Cena defends against Kurt Angle. Davari is the special guest referee. They have awkwardly paired Davari with Kurt Angle. Because Divari has nobody to manage now that uh, Muhammad Hassan has been banished from WWE following the uh, unfortunately timed terrorist angle that
1: yep. aired um, like the same day as the London bombings. Yeah. Speaking of some of that fun race stuff. Uh, in fact, not to pile on, but while D'Avary yeah, while Daivari is coming to the ring, Jerry Lawler says out of nowhere, I don't like that spooky music
0: uh then angle comes out they bleep the you suck chance which is part of a storyline i don't remember i guess angle had like
1: asked bischoff to do that to try to get heat yeah and it doesn't get heat in fact it's just confusing because literally the commentators are talking and they keep getting bleeped over yeah, no, and I'm just like, wait, did the crowd start chanting the F word or something? Which would have been, like, in retrospect, that would have been awesome. Just like, fuck you, Angle. Um, yeah, so this, like, them desperately
0: trying to get Kurt Angle food will lapse into self-parody at some point when he cuts a promo where he says he's not a fan of, quote-unquote, the black people, and he could make Shoot. Jesus tap out. Holy
1: shit, yeah he said that on television yeah. what era are we in man that's the thing is
0: as much as I feel like the narrative is like they cooled things off after the attitude era
1: I'm not sure that's accurate well I I would go so far as to say that like the attitude era had a bunch of like raunchy stuff happen but it wasn't actively hateful towards <laughs> any individual group like this. They go so far in, like, the other direction, in, and, and like, the Fox News direction. You know yeah, what I mean? Well, like, and
0: it is just a reflection of the era we enter here, that <coughs> xenophobia has become more of a part of our political culture at this point, so it's trickling over
1: to WWE. But all it's doing is exposing what Vince and Bruce and probably Michael Hayes' actual <laughs> opinions are. Yeah. If Michael Hayes didn't write that fucking Edge segment, then I will eat my fucking <laughs> foot. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um cena gets a pretty good reaction definitely sounded like more cheers than booze oh yeah um angle picks cena's leg and works on it there's a dueling let's go angle let's go cena chant it's not quite cena sucks yet
1: that's coming soon it's actually kind of fun like we're still in the period where People are kind of, like, there's a loud, loud reaction. Regardless oh, it's of,
0: electric. I mean, we talked about that in that scene episode, that, like, every pay-per-view match he has this year, the crowd is on fire.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it certainly seems like the kind of thing you would want to steer into. It's pretty awesome, like, the reaction that they're getting. Uh, this match is... Uh,
0: <laughs> <sighs> It's too much. Like, Tavari is the referee. I mean, he's out for almost all of it. He takes a weak ref bump here, and he's down for 10 minutes.
1: See, and that's the thing, too, is that this match just devolves into just, every time a ref gets in the ring, Angle or Cena destroy them, like 20 refs in a row. (laughs) Like, it just becomes, like, the strategy of the match is just to take out the ref who doesn't like you until you get to one who does.
0: Uh Cena hits a fisherman Suplex, but Divari refuses to count the pin. Angle then pops up and gets him in the ankle lock. Cena manages to power out of it, and then he slaps the shit out of Divari. That was fucking hilarious. Yeah. Daivari goes to DQ Cena, but Angle stops him because Angle can't win the title on a DQ. Very smart by Angle. Yeah. Um... While Angle is like kind of telling Divari not to do the disqualification, Cena knocks Angle into Divari, and that's our ref bump. Davari's down for the next 10 minutes. Ref bump number one. Uh, um, out on the floor, Angle hits a
1: beautiful overhead belly to belly suplex. God, it was, it's one of those two where it seems like Cena was barely involved, that just Kurt just yeah. like went back on it, like, you're going, buddy. Yeah.
0: Uh, New referee runs in to take over. Angle hits another big belly to belly suplex back in the ring. Uh Angle twists Cena up like a pretzel in a submission hold. It's kind of like an STF variation. Arguably that might be where he learned it. <laughs> um a DDT by Cena but he can't make the cover. Cena hits a shoulder block and then a series of clotheslines, the blue thunder bomb and the five knuckle shuffle uh that's the setup for the fu but angle just clotheslines the
1: referee that was my favorite moment of this match where like you're literally going through the five moves of doom and like open up his
0: nikes and then yeah angle Angle just knocks the referee out (laughs) uh angle with a low blow he drops the straps hits the angle slam as another referee runs in uh delayed count so cena kicks out uh angle hits a superplex and he goes for the moonsault but scene rolls out of the way has anyone ever had a more picture perfect moonsault than kurt angle
1: i would say no like it is he the floats perfect...
0: through the air perfect a- rotation every time
1: a- except when he actually hits anybody with it because he has no idea where he's placing it <laughs> now
0: that time he broke hardcore holly's arm yep um cena goes for the fu but angle grabs the referee to escape um and he takes cena down with a clothesline and knocks out another referee
1: at this point like the crowd doesn't even it's not even really reacting to this anymore it's like what's going on um angle
0: drags Davari back into the ring as uh charles robinson who's a smackdown referee comes down to the ring um as you know somebody in commentary i can't remember who points out like there's no i think it's joey styles there's no
1: raw referees left they've all been knocked out yeah because the other whoever's with him i think it's coach it's just like what the hell is he doing here he can't count the pin on this and just like well who the fuck else is gonna do it yeah, they're all dead <laughs> um cena hits
0: davari with a ddt and then cena catches angle with the fu out of nowhere and gets the one two three from Charles Robinson i enjoyed this match obviously it was massively overbooked
1: but you know yeah. i mean that's what you had to do for Cena at the time i mean it is what it is
0: yeah i mean even with kurt angle in there he wasn't gonna be have a great match wasn't there yet
1: yeah it, it, the match was fine and I, I enjoyed parts of it it was overbooked all to hell but i think they could have done a better match here if it had been more like if their
0: brawling scene has got the advantage, and if their wrestling angle has the advantage, I
1: think that's a good,
0: simple story you can tell.
1: Yeah, because they were trying to put across Cena as like the greatest brawler who ever walked the earth at this point. They don't really do anything in order to help that along, but I guess it's fine. I just, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I feel like I almost would have rather the finish had been. Like Cena slaps Davari at the end of like a 20 minute match. And then Davari calls for the DQ and fucks Angle. And then Angle's like, what? Cause this isn't I the mean, end of this. Feud. You can
0: totally, you can understand why the crowd turns on Cena. Cause like, it seems like a stretch that he could beat Kurt Angle to begin with. And then when you stack the deck against him like this and he wins anyway, it gets pretty
1: lame. Yeah. And he wins pretty definitively every single time. And like, And this is like the Cena model. It's like Cena beat you the first time, and he beat you the second time, and maybe you beat him the third time, but he definitely beat you the fourth time. It's like, fuck that. Who cares? Next up, we have a
0: match that shouldn't have happened. It's Eric Bischoff versus Teddy Long.
1: Boy, this was something else. It really was.
0: Bischoff comes out first in his gi, um... Doesn't have the black hair. He got his head shaved and stopped uh, dyeing his hair black.
1: I mean, I wish he had just gone full Silver Fox by now. That's definitely the best look. Teddy Long out second with Palmer Cannon backing him up. Who is this jabroni and what is he doing here? Okay, here's the deal. Right around this time, they start doing... I think it it coincided with them going on to the CW, actually, now that I think about it is they start doing this thing where there's a network representative with Teddy Long. who's basically making sure that Teddy's booking shows that the network would approve of. It's basically the the ECW-Cyrus-the-Virus angle all over again, right? Except it sucks. Except it sucks real hard.
0: The network on ECW was awesome because Cyrus was
1: awesome. The thing about Palmer Cannon is... He would just stand behind Teddy Long and just give him, like, disapproving looks all the time. It didn't lead to anything. Eventually, the entire purpose of bringing Palmer Cannon in and doing this angle, are you ready for this, was to lead to a Palmer Cannon versus The Miz WrestleMania match. Oh, God. The Miz was going to be the babyface in that match yes he was he was because going the miz to... is the host of smackdown right the Miz is the host of smackdown and he was just going to be a little too edgy for palmer cannon so palmer cannon was going to try to censor him but The miz wouldn't be silenced when you think edgy you definitely think the miz if you've never seen the miz during this period it's some of the most wretched shit you will ever see
0: <laughs> and it's a taped show and like they can't save <clears throat> him with multiple takes
1: I'm The Miz, and I'm your SmackDown host. But that didn't mean anything. He wouldn't, he would just stand in the ring and be like, yeah, it's me, The Miz. Like, his was the first career that was saved by the ECW brand. Yeah. When, like, he went there and became, like, Chick Magnet Miz and, like, finally started to find something. Like, thank God for that.
0: So, Paul Cannon was, like a guy from developmental he was a wrestler
1: he was a wrestler he wasn't actually much of a developmental he may have done like a spell there like he had a wrestling experience but really they just brought him in because vince thought that he looked like a network executive
0: sure i guess and then i'm pretty sure he just quit the company abruptly because everybody was hazing him that's correct he i'm pretty sure like jbl and chris benoit were just like
1: outright torturing him Well, he went to wrestler's court, and I guess that was the final straw, was he thought that that was unfair, so he just walked out on the company. Yeah. I don't know what he went to wrestler's court over, but apparently he did not like The Undertaker's ruling.
0: Um, There's two referees for this match. They've got both a Raw referee
1: and a SmackDown referee. Which is a smart idea. I like that touch. They did that in the main event, too, where, like, they did a coin flip and, like, the SmackDown referee got to be the one in the ring and the Raw referee had to be the one outside. That's cool. That made sense.
0: Uh, They stall for a little while. Uh, Palmer Cannon accidentally distracts the referee and that allows Bischoff to choke Teddy. Bischoff then puts on a sleeper hold. Teddy gets his shoe off and hits Bischoff in the face with it.
1: Fuck yeah.
0: Get him, Teddy. Bischoff hits a throat thrust.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry but I just love that you said those words. Uh,
0: just trying to just trying to call it as I see it. Uh-huh, yeah, go, go keep going. Um and then the Boogeyman's music shows up and he's going to put us all out of our misery. I've
1: never been so happy to hear the Boogeyman's music. <laughs>
0: So, like, Bischoff, like, sends the referees out of the ring to, like, stop the boogeyman because he's going to come down the ramp, but instead the boogeyman comes up from under the ring, but somehow the referees just don't notice that any of this happens. This takes forever.
1: Can I just take a moment to talk about my favorite boogeyman segment of all time?
0: Is it the one that led to Jim Cornette slapping the shit out of Santino Morella and getting fired?
1: No, though that one is classic, too. too. My favorite maybe my favorite wrestling segment of all time was the trial of Eric Bischoff where like well, Vince well McMahon is, is the judge and Chris Masters was the shirtless bailiff and Mick Foley was the defendant and or the defending the lawyer prosecutor. and he was just sitting there like eating moon pies while stuff is going on and like one of the witnesses they call is the Boogeyman and he like rises up to the witness stand And Vince asks him a question and he just gives like a 15 minute monologue and then just sinks back down. And Vince just kind of looks over the side like, huh. All right. And then they just move on with the show. That's my favorite book. Very
0: funny series of segments. Ending with Vince throwing Bischoff into a dump truck. God, that was great. Did that That, happen like right after this? I
1: I want to say, yeah.
0: Wasn't this the end for Bischoff? I think it was.
1: There's, like, one more match on Raw where if, like, Bischoff's team loses, then he's done, and then they lose.
0: That sounds right. Yeah, I think this is the
1: end of his road. Which means that they should have just fired him here and just made it, like, what I said earlier, just whoever wins this match. Yeah,
0: the GM gets fired and, like, you can have Teddy run both shows or whatever.
1: That's perfectly fine. <laughs>
0: Uh, Teddy gets the pin after Boogeyman takes Bish off out with a pump handle slam. It's good shit. Uh, there's a video package for the main event. Uh, we see, I love this touch. We see Team SmackDown come into the ring and like they walk through the entire SmackDown roster and they're all cheering them on. And then same deal for the Raw team. I thought that was a really good touch.
1: Yeah, they do a really great job of making it seem like both rosters really care about this. And the best part is, like, like Rey Mysterio is, like, dapping people up, and he's all excited. And then, like, Randy Orton walks by, and nobody wants to touch yeah. him because he's such an asshole.
0: Fuck that guy. All right, so main event time, traditional Survivor Series match, Team Raw versus Team SmackDown, five-on-five elimination. Um, we get Orton and Michaels in the ring to start, and we cycle through some different guys. Lashley gets a big pop when he tags in
1: like i think at this point lashley's just sort of an exciting unknown yeah. it's just like oh this big motherfucker's tagging him he's we'll see the what first he can do. guy
0: they've had i mean he's the first thing like post goldberg that you saw after i mean after lesnar that you saw him like that could be the next goldberg
1: yeah so we're just like oh man what's this guy gonna be oh in this match he doesn't really do shit <laughs> no
0: uh, he gets in, beats up Masters, he hits the Dominator on Carlito, sets up for the Dominator on Michaels, but then Kane chokes slams him and Michaels, pins him and
1: Lashley is out of the match. Like, he looks really good at first, because they basically just have him do his moves. Like yeah. power slam, power slam, dominator, dominator. By the way, the dominator is a ridiculously dangerous move for somebody oh, this green yeah. to be doing. He's gonna break somebody's kneecaps.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean I mean nobody I I don't even think, like, Farouk could really do the move effectively. There's a reason he's kind of stopped doing it. You're just going to hurt the guy's legs with it.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, Farouk would just fucking throw him and wouldn't give a shit. Like, that's how that went. <laughs> yeah. So, like, they would try to take flat bumps, but it's hard to take flat belly bumps. Like, people can't really do that. Yeah, and just, like, the way he's swinging you, your legs are going to hit first. Yeah. So, I mean, like, but he does those. But it's just, like, so casual. Like, he just walks too close to Kane Kane just reaches out without even bothering to get in the ring and chokes lands him. And that's it for Lashley. He goes out like an asshole. Yeah, he does. Um, I it wouldn't have been
0: hard to protect him more. You could have had him just get like DQ'd or counted out because he's inexperienced. Yeah. Agreed. Um, then there's a Mysterio versus Michaels sequence. Tragically, these guys never had a major singles match. I think the only time they wrestled each other was, on eddie smackdown show. yeah the eddie show that i think that was the main event
1: yep absolutely
0: but it just sean was always on raw and ray was always on smackdown there just wasn't wasn't a lot of opportunity for them to work together
1: it's just it's such a fun thing for Shawn michaels to be the big guy in a match yeah he when never really got happen? to do that for him to be like the host
0: uh, Ray ends up getting worked over, but eventually he makes the hot tag to Batista. Batista comes in. Um, Ray hits the 619 on Kane. Kane turns around into a spine buster from Batista, and that gets the pin. Kane is out. Um, Big Show comes in, choke slams Batista. Batista kicks out. Kane sits up. Him and Big Show double choke slam Batista, and they pin him. The champ is gone. That's a pretty shocking moment. Like, you can tell the crowd is like, what? Yeah. Uh, JBL comes off the top rope. He gets caught by Big Show. Big Show beats up Orton and Mysterio. But Orton catches him with a hangman. JBL hits the clothesline from hell. Mysterio hits the 619. Orton hits the RKO. JBL hits another clothesline from hell. Somehow Big Show is still standing after all of this, and Mysterio hits the seated senton, and Big Show is pinned after six finishers.
1: This was when they were actually protecting the shit out of Big Show, and like he and Kane were like genuinely a terrifying force. I know that's hard to think about now, but just understand that they had effectively gotten Big Show over as unstoppable again. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I always loved like Big Show and Survivor Series matches, just to see like how many finishers they'd hit him with to pin him. Yeah, just like everybody gets one go on the big guy. Um, it's three on three. We've got Mysterio, Orton, and JBL against uh, Michaels, Masters, and Carlito. Uh, Mysterio gets worked over by Carlito. JBL blind tags in, takes out Carlito with the clothesline from hell, and he's pinned and then a quick 619 on Masters, and he's out. So it's Orton, Mysterio, and JBL against Shawn Michaels. This was the permanent fate of Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series to be caught in these impossible situations.
1: There are only two men who were always alone at the end of their Survivor Series match, and they are Randy Orton and Shawn Michaels. Now, Randy Orton always won those matches.
0: (laughs) Yeah, two years before this, it was Team Austin versus Team Bischoff, and it came down to Sean against three guys, and Orton caught him with the RKO and pinned him after he took out the other two guys. And, spoiler alert, that's what's going to happen here.
1: Yeah. Uh, This is during the period where they kind of just decide out of nowhere, Randy Orton is going to be unbeatable at Survivor Series. Randy Orton is Mr. Survivor Series. That's if you go back and look, I swear to god, this is not a thing that really seems important, but if you go back and look at every Survivor series, Randy Orton is fucking unbeatable at Survivor series.
0: He has to have been the sole survivor, or at least like the survivor of more Survivor series matches than anybody.
1: I think it was five last time I looked. Yeah,
0: that sounds right. I think it's like his first five in a row. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, yeah, you know, Sean just gets ass kicked. JBL pummels him on the floor, drags him back into the ring. JBL tags in Mysterio. Mysterio goes for a springboard, but Sean pops up and hits him with an atomic bomb of a sweet chin music. God damn, I love that. Right uh. on the fucking air. I mean, the best one ever is always going to be Shelton Benjamin, but this was incredible.
1: Yeah, that one, like he times it so that it looks like he literally puts his foot through Shelton's face this one's great too though uh
0: that gets the pin mysterio's gone jbl comes in he goes for the clothesline from hell but he gets caught with sweet chin music and sean gets the pin crowd is going insane sean is somehow gonna pull this off he can barely stand orton comes in stalks him Goes for the RKO, but Sean blocks it. Sean goes for Sweet Chin Music, but Orton powders.
1: Uh.
0: Sean follows him out to the floor with a plancha. Uh, JBL comes back. He's got a chair. Referee stops him, but that distraction allows Orton to catch Sean with the RKO for the pin. Really
1: good match. I thought that was one of the better Survivor Series matches I've seen. Absolutely. Like, it was great. It had a genuine point. I always fucking love that it always comes down to Randy on his team, even though he's such a mercenary fuck who never cares about the cause. So, yeah. just like, you're really cheering for Raw and Shawn Michaels at that point. But fucking Randy Orton's unbeatable at Survivor Series. It's a universal truth. Like, you can't powerbomb Kidman. It just is what it is.
0: Uh, the SmackDown locker room empties as they all celebrate in the ring. And then we hear the gong. It's the Undertaker. Bong. Yeah. Big pop. Um, I don't think we've seen him. He's been gone since like, maybe not that long. Maybe just since No Mercy. But um, Orton and Bob Orton locked him in a casket and lit the casket on fire.
1: Yeah, that was something that happened.
0: This feud sucked. A lot of stupid angles in this feud.
1: Which is such a shame because it started so well. Yeah, the WrestleMania match was awesome. At that point, it was probably one of the best WrestleMania matches ever. Like, it was certainly Orton's best match. Like, it was awesome. Just like the potential of the chokeslam reversed into the RKO made people think that this feud could go on forever, but it just couldn't. It just couldn't. Uh, uh the casket is
0: brought out on the stage lightning strikes the casket it catches fire it comes open and undertaker emerges and he's got a badass beard
1: yeah he's looking great
0: um taker beats up a bunch of guys and orton bails out of the ring as the show ends this would set up a hell in a cell match for the next month at armageddon where taker would beat orton to end the feud good stuff And that is a wrap on Survivor Series 2005. Not the most historically significant show, but I feel like we haven't done a lot of shows from this period, so it always seems fun when we jump in
1: here. Yeah, like, it's so funny because in the early days of our podcast, it was so much built around, like, very early 90s and late 80s shows. So, like, it still feels super fresh whenever we cover something from, like, the last 20 years. So, like, this, this is largely an untouched period of history for us. Yeah, we haven't done a ton of the Ruthless Aggression era. For Also for good reason, because literally most of these shows don't fucking matter, and they suck. So it's hard to get really excited about them.
0: Yeah. This one, I mean, I didn't think this was a bad show at all. I thought this mostly
1: delivered. No, I mean, the, the beginning was okay, and the ending was great, and in between, a lot of racist shit happened. So, you know,
0: that's a, that's a full wrestling show in my mind.
1: yeah. I mean, I feel like I went to the whole fucking carnival this time around.
0: Yeah. Um, So next time, we got something I'm really excited about. This is one I pushed for. It's going to be, I believe, the most recent show we've ever covered on the LawCast. It is. Survivor Series 2016. A lot of interesting stuff on this show, but the big thing I wanted to talk about was Goldberg's return.
1: Steve really 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 wants to talk about goldberg's return and for good reason it was we've talked about this off air so many times yes this is something that we both love so passionately and it's such a pure pleasant happy moment and uh, probably the only one i can think of in the past five years that went anything close to like this so it's it's beautiful but shit what else is on that show steve um, well,
0: so this is like the last time they had kind of, I feel like relaunched their uh, product. So this is when they had brought back the roster split, um, had done a draft that summer. Lots of things are going on. Shane McMahon had come back to the company. They did the Cruiserweight Classic that summer, introduced the Cruiserweight division. Daniel Bryan's had to retire. The Miz is having a great run. We got the Shield breakup. Um, Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton are teaming up. Um A lot of—I mean, Finn Balor won the Universal title and then had to forfeit it. They did that great angle where Triple H turned on Seth Rollins and handed Kevin Owens the Universal title. Um, AJ Styles is the WWE champion and having a great run. Just, It felt like a time of hope for this company, and it didn't end up amounting to much.
1: But yeah, like these are all topics that we've literally never fucking spoken about on this podcast before, ever— So this might be one of our longer ones. Please strap in.
0: Yeah, really looking forward to this. You got that to look forward to next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you again.